Hey families, your sister Jocelyn here, and welcome to another episode of Faith on the Journey. If this is your first time tuning in, we welcome you. We are so glad that you are here and want you to know that we're committed to helping you strengthen your faith, heal your heart, and discover a sense of community. And we do so through a variety of ways by connecting you with a team of Christian counselors and offering trauma healing trainings throughout the year. You can learn about these resources and so much more by visiting our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. Now, today I'm welcoming a sister to the show who I had the pleasure of speaking with her on a panel discussion a couple weeks back. And I said, I need to have her here because she has such a phenomenal take on the process of healing and justice work. Reverend Laura Kiweba James is an emerging womanist practitioner and facilitator. She loves, values, and respects the ways that Black women's experience conjures sacred spaces of healing and liberation. She's trained as a pastoral leader and faith community organizer in the United Methodist tradition. She enjoys reading, nature walks, playing hide and seek with her dog, King James, which I love that name, and relearning her ancestral language of Karundi. And so we're so glad to welcome Reverend Laura to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um, and it was also so, such a beautiful experience to be on the panel with you a few weeks ago. So glad to be in the space and thank you. Yeah, well, I would love for our audience to learn a little bit more about you and your story and and what led you to accept this call in working in ministry. When I'm always thinking about, like with that question of my own lineage and what grounds me in the present moment of my vocation and my call, and it starts with my family. Both my mom and my dad were deeply believers, raised both in their own traditions of spirituality connected to the community and land, but they also were introduced to organized religion. Um, my dad was uh, educated through Quaker missionaries and my mom, Roman Catholic missionaries. We're from Burundi, Africa, in Gitega, Burundi uh, is a city where my family grew up. And so kind of with that foundation, they always instilled within me and my older brother and I just a sense of like faith is what grounds you. Faith is what keeps you. But another part of my history is that in 1972, uh, in 1994, there was a genocide that happened in Burundi. Um, we're both in 1972. My dad lost a lot of his family and friends. And in 1994, my mother uh, lost uh, her father and her brother. And the reality of war, state and community violence has a generational trauma, has always been with me uh, and has is deeply with my dad. And as a pastor and as a facilitator, I think that is an experience and a history that I'm always navigating of what to do uh, with this generational trauma. My father's response to it and how he equipped kind of us to move through it was through a position of forgiveness that was grounded in the church, right? That if God created us and Jesus in the sense of who always forgives, like, why do we hold conflict, right? If we were created through grace, right? It was always kind of like the struggle of me of like, how do we forgive 
with unnecessary violence like genocide, uh, like uh, community and state sanctioned harm? Like, what do we do with that? And so I took those questions to seminary and had the most brilliant teachers, uh, Reverend Dr. Cedric Johnson, Reverend Dr. Beverly Mitchell, Reverend Dr. Josiah Young, have to lift up their names who deeply formed me in the sense of like, how then do we connect our faith into right relationship where when trauma and violence happens, we can move forward by yes, lamenting, which is something that I feel like my family has always done. But then there's this, how do we imagine returning to relationship with one another? And then I've kind of, you know, with those questions has deeply informed my vocation and my call to justice. I serve as the director of grassroots organizing for the United Methodist denomination um, in one of the agencies, uh, General Board of Church and Society. And so there's this real task within our work of justice, especially for me as I understand justice as not just the absence of oppression, but truly being in right relationship, then like what does right relationship require of us, especially when we see so much injustice in the world, especially in the midst of trauma, especially in the midst of harm and violence, like how then do we transform, which is one of our part of a mission statement in the United Methodist Church uh, is to make uh, disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And so what is required of us in that transformation? We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but then also what in our humanity needs to be transformed so that we can be in right relationship. So yeah, I cannot believe I summarized that in such a good way. Man, I really appreciate this work around the justice, social justice that you do. And you used a term when we were talking talking before we started recording, healing justice. And I hadn't heard that before. And I would love for you to define that a little bit more and talk about that process around healing justice. Yeah, you know, healing justice was a term that was introduced to me when definitely at the beginning of 2020 with the reality of the pandemic, the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and this time where we are literally seeing almost everything repeated again that we saw in the 1980s, like with Rodney King. And so there was this question in 2020 in the midst of both the pandemic and another public execution of a black man of like, what are we moving forward? Like, what are we moving towards? Like, what are we moving towards in the sense that is literally not repeating the same harm that we continue to see because it's almost like we've seen this murder of George Floyd like it's consistently a narrative within the U.S. and so how do we disrupt that and so Kara Page who is both the co-founder of the Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective and also the co-author with Erica Woodland of Healing Justice Lineages Dreaming at the Crossroads of Liberation Collective Care and Safety it was Kara Page who introduced me to how healing justice can be practiced and specifically I wanted to find it. Uh, these are Kara Page's words and the words of the Kindred uh, Southern Healing Justice Collective. But healing justice is a political strategy conceived in 2005 and formally launched in 2006 by the Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective to intervene and respond on generational trauma and systemic oppression and build community and survivor-led responses rooted in Southern traditions of resiliency to sustain our emotional, physical, spiritual, psychic, and environmental well-being. 
And so when I connected with CarePage in 2020 and I started hearing just kind of the, you know, the story and understanding of healing justice, it also came up in other parts of my work around climate and environmental justice. I also found a, a place that made sense of my own lineage and my own journey, right? Like as I shared, you know, coming up from a history of two parents that have been impacted by genocide, trauma, and war. Even in 2020, both with the murder of George Floyd and then the horror of when the Capitol was overtaken and I live in DC, there was so much that I noticed within myself that I was like, that was also a part of the trauma that my parents experienced. Like, and so I needed something, I needed language to figure out how can I move through this? How can I resist the injustices that I'm seeing in a way that is intentional, in a way that is strategic, that I'm literally building and creating the world that I deserve, which is safe, the world that I deserve, which is a journey towards healing, the world that I deserve that is transforming. And that's something that I'm just not experiencing, but I'm experiencing that with community. Kara Page and her work definitely taught me that and deeply informs my work and how I pray that the church really begins to understand our responsibility towards justice. It's not just a win or a success, but really how do we move in such a way that we heal ourselves, our community, and our world so that it doesn't look like what it has before. It doesn't repeat the systems and oppressions that has before. And to do that, like we really do have to wrestle with the journey of healing and what that looks like. And that actually is a perfect segue to my follow-up question about how you define healing. What is healing to you? Yeah, yeah. So in seminary, we had this course around healing communities, and there was this book around the healing moments uh, within scripture. And that is really when we began to unpack, like, what's the difference between healing and being cured? And I was like, oh, I never really thought about it like that. Healing truly is a sense of like, how do we return to health? And I think about it like health is a reflection of right relationship. Health means that we are truly all interconnected in a way that values each of us where we are. And cure is literally to rid of disease. It's almost just focused on the thing that is causing disconnect or discord, but it's not focused on the totality of who we are as people, of who we are in right relationship with land, with God, with ourselves and community. So there are things that I do believe can be cured, but I think for myself, the real goal that we all should be striving for is like, what does it actually mean to transform and be a part of the journey towards healing, that literally everything that we touch and are in relationship with truly can be seen in this vision of healing that then allows us all to truly be connected in a right and just way. I really appreciate that definition. And in our conversation earlier, you also drew the connection between healing and liberation. And I would love for you to expound on that. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, that's such a... Ooh. That is healing and liberation. You know, so when I think about health, right, 
healing in terms of like, how do we return to right relationship? How do we become healthy again? And one aspect of health is like, you know, being connected to the whole. And Dr. Shauna Marae Brown has this definition of freedom is for the individual and healing is for the collective. Oh, I'm sorry. She says freedom is for the individual and liberation is for the collective. And so when I think about healing, you can't do it by yourself. <laughs> A lot of folks that I've like encountered are kind of like, you know, yeah, I'm on my healing journey. And I was like, yes, you are, but you're in community in that process. Whether you're working with a pastor or a therapist or in relationship with your church or an accountability group or whatever that looks like, we can't heal by ourselves. I think that is like a false understanding. And it's specific to like liberation, healing in relationship to liberation requires community. Uh, and so that's how I see the two connected. That's powerful. I was over here taking notes <laughs> and just writing things down because I, I do believe that. I do believe that the collective is is essential in so many facets of our lives in terms of community and helping us to move forward and grow. The pandemic, domestic abuse, gun violence, depression. Unfortunately, members of your church have been experiencing tremendous pain in recent years. As a church leader, you can no longer be silent about what's happening in your congregation. You want to do more to help your members heal, but there are challenges. Pastors don't have the capacity to provide the type of counseling that trauma survivors need. And if you have a church of leaders who are willing to step up, that's fantastic but you might not have the resources to train these leaders to provide the necessary trauma-informed care to the body. This is where Faith on the Journey Counseling steps in. We'll equip you to become a trauma-healing church. We will train your staff and lay leaders on a curriculum that's been utilized in over 100 countries and has been translated in over 150 languages. This curriculum was created by the world's best psychologists and Bible scholars. And the best part is, it's extremely affordable, adaptable, and can be implemented right away. As a trauma survivor, I've gone through this curriculum myself, and I'm telling you, it was life-changing. If you're looking for a proven way to guide your members to heal from trauma, I encourage you to visit TraumaHealingChurch.com. Take advantage of some free resources to help your members to heal. And while you're there, please review the details on this world-proven curriculum. Thank you. And so for you, as a pastor doing this work, how have you integrated this into your work as a shepherd of a congregation to create a healing congregation and community? Yeah. So I am not in a local congregation anymore. I serve the denomination. Uh, and so I am a part of multiple churches, annual conferences, but I do, I am a part of a local church that cares for me very much. And I think for me, it's just about relationship. It's about relationship as well as a sense of within our discipleship, how can we be disciplined in terms of our understanding to transform and transform not in just something that is outside of us, but also within us so that we can be working towards a sense of healing, justice, transformation that is both within ourselves, in our communities, and like beyond. I know I said earlier that like healing cannot 
just happen as, as an individual. And I, and I agree with that, but I do think that there are aspects of our healing that often like start with us, right? That there are internal questions that we have to ask ourselves. And so I feel like a lot of my pastoral presence is within that spiritual direction that I sit with folks, whether that's one-on-one or even in big facilitations. And we ask questions, questions that haven't been asked. And initially within this work, I kind of struggled with that. I always kind of thought like, oh, we need to be doing something. I need to be creating something. But it was so powerful as folks began to ask and sit in the questions, the visions of what justice needs to look like, not just in the communities, but within the individuals who are doing the work towards justice and also the dynamics on the teams themselves. And I realized that a real part of my own pastoral vision when it comes to healing justice is like asking, you know, these questions that um, haven't really been considered about, you know, what does justice mean to you? What are your values around that? How do you practice that within the teams that you're a part of? How do you see that within your local churches and your annual conference? And when we gave space where I give space to those questions, there's like all of this opportunity to create a new. And so that has really been a blessing for me to really be able to hold that space and to facilitate those questions in a way that invites the possibility of what healing can help us imagine and practice so that we can be in right relationship with ourselves, with one another, and God. That's powerful. And in your work, you talked about rest quite a bit when we spoke at an event together, Uh, rest being a form of resistance. But I'm also curious as the role that rest might play in someone's healing process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So rest as resistance, that is definitely a term from Bishop Trisha Hershey and the NAP ministry in her book, Rest as Resistance. And, you know, early, early on in ministry, one of the questions that some of my mentors asked is like, Laura, when do you just take a break? When do you just rest? Like, even with, I remember one of my mentors were like, what are you reading? Why are you reading that? That's too intense. Like, read something easy. And then, and this was in college, I didn't really understood what they were talking about. I was just like, I want to read this for my formation. But now I'm realizing that rest, especially within, and I want to be careful when I say this, especially within the context of the U.S. and the reality of settler colonialism. And so what I mean by that is the fact that the U.S. was known as Turtle Island. Over, I believe it's Resma McKenikim who quoted in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, that over 240 million indigenous people occupied Turtle Island that we now call the U.S. And less than a century over now that 240 million is less than less than a million, maybe a couple hundred thousand. And so this reality of genocide that has happened within the U.S. that has created a system of harm that we call and know as exploitation, that has now the exploitation has also, the exploitation and violence has moved into our economy that then creates within us who I would say are situated within this U.S. uh, context, this desire to 
produce this desire to work so hard as a way that all there is in life is work. Yet we know and believe in a God who created us in God's image. And we know that work is not our life, that grace, love, and hope is our life. And so when I talk about rest as resistance, at least what I encounter with Trisha Hershey, it's the sense of like, how do we get back to God who created us rather than the system that is truly oppressing us? And that system being that lineage of violence and harm that came from settler colonialism. And so rest very much is a political position, I believe, in terms of our relationship to empire and in terms of being able to care for yourself in the same way that God cares for us in a way that's, that opposes a system that just wants to take from you in the same way that the system has taken from so many. No, that is real. And I see how keeping us on the hamster wheel, running, 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 busy, busy, busy. We don't even have time to sit with our own emotions, our own pain. So around the work of addressing generational trauma, healing justice, and just a number of things that you spoke to today. If you were to sum up maybe one or two initial steps that someone might take to get involved in this work, even on the individual level, what would you suggest? I would definitely go and purchase the book by Kara Page and Erica Woodland, Healing Justice Lineages, Dreaming at the Crossroads of Liberation, Collective Care and Safety. I feel like that text is so groundbreaking in terms of being able to understand the lineages of healing justice that existed even like within this context of the United States, like that is Turtle Island. Like I feel like that is such a foundational text. And then I would start with your own story and really ask yourselves, like, what are your own lineages? If, you know, any of your lineages in terms of folks who came before you are still around, and I pray that they are, or, you know, that you can commune with them in your own quiet and reflection time to begin having conversations around what does healing look like? Because I think the one thing that does come up in healing justice is this sense of our lineages, especially when it comes to enslaved Africans within the U.S. and especially the Black church that is a cousin to African spirituality, as Dr. Josiah Young would name. There's so much evidence of healing despite the systems of oppression and violence that we've lived through, that Black folks have lived through in the U.S. And so I think definitely getting that book and starting to ask yourself and your family these questions of like, what are your lineages of healing? What does healing look like? Because I would even say for me, right, my healing lineages my dad was grounded in this understanding of forgiveness from Jesus, right? Like Jesus taught him to forgive. And that understanding of forgiveness has informed every part of his life. But then there's this other part of, you know, healing going back to health, right? That when wherever my brother and I are sick, he's like, we'll make you some honey, uh, warm some honey and some tea and lemon and ginger and garlic and onion uh, and salt and pepper, put it in a little pot and sip it, right? So you know, there's different strategies and practices around healing that we have within our families. And I think it's up to us to really ask those questions and see where they are and uproot them for the generations to come. That's awesome. I thank you, Reverend Laura, such richness in the work that you do. And I learned a ton of things in this short period of time from you. And so I, I thank you for being a guest on the show and for blessing us today. 
Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. And I thank you all for tuning in for today's episode. I hope you were blessed by it just like I was. And if you enjoyed, do me a favor and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to reach more people and let individuals know the impact we're creating. Also, we're on YouTube, so you can check us out there and subscribe and share this with a friend. And if you're looking for additional resources like a Christian counselor, or you're looking to start a trauma healing ministry at your church and want to learn how to run trauma healing groups, please contact us on our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. So that's it for this week, family. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, you keep your faith on the journey. I'll see you soon.